Greetings, dysfunctionals. Once again, it is me, Dr. Ernesto, coming at you on that Aslan Libre Onda, straight chilling on this digital esquina. Today, I am talking to Milta Ortiz. Milta is a dear friend and an up-and-coming, multiple award-winning Latina playwright. In 2013, she became the National New Playwright Network resident playwright at Borderlands Theater Company. Her work is powerful and community-based. She draws from her own experience as a child immigrant from El Salvador and the challenges her family as well as herself face coming to the United States. She is a leader in a new generation of Latinx artistic voices that will shape not only outside perceptions of who we are as a community, but the internal dialogue that is happening with indigenous people here at the beginning of the 21st century. Milta, thanks for being with us today. I'm excited about our conversation. Why don't we start with you telling us a bit about yourself? The Associate Artistic Director at Borderlands Theater, which means that my partner and I co-run the theater and make decisions between the two of us. Oh, okay. Who's your partner? Mark David Pinate, who is also my life partner. Okay. <laughs> and also a dear friend. Two of the most talented people I know. I saw the um, video of your daughter's soul earlier today when she when mark was playing and then she just like picked up that violin and just started like wailing on it yes she just got that violin yesterday it was her first lesson after you know that extended day program davis is gracious enough to pro provide free violins and she just got her hands on it last night and this morning that happened that's crazy that was so nuts and i was reading in the thing and mark was like yeah she just got it like yesterday I was yeah like, okay. she was jamming on it apparently she came home last night and was practicing she wants to be in the davis mariachi they're called the aguilitas good yeah. all right runs in the family yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> so milta can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing right now like what's your latest project yeah, right now, actually, I was working on um, a little bit of choreography for the Sun Serpent. I'm directing that at Pima Community College. I work in the theater department there. I teach uh, voice and movement, and sometimes I teach theater appreciation, so it's more of a lecture class. But I am also directing this, this semester. It's the first time I'm directing at Pima. And really, I mean, I have worked with youth, um, and I have directed, that, directed before, so, but it, but it is something more newer for me. Uh, I'm really excited about it. The play uses Spanish and Nahuatl. So the students are learning both Spanish and Nahuatl, or at least as much as they're saying in the play in, in yeah. those languages. And um, we're also working with masks. We have masks by master mask maker Sarco Guerrero, and they're amazing, beautiful pieces of art. Yeah, I saw those on Facebook too. Yeah, we get to work with them. And it, I mean, they are so excited to use them. And the thing is that it just, it helps them become more theatrical. So yesterday they put on, we have these monkey masks that were used for another production, the Popol Vuh at Pima. And were made by Pima students, but they're beautiful also. And I had them walk across the stage as monkeys, as frenzied monkeys. And there's something that happens when people put on masks that they, you transcend who you are and you become this other being, right? right. And so when, they, when they put on Sarkle's beautiful mask, they, 
they, you know, um, one of the students is playing Conquistador, Cortes, and he just becomes this other person and voice and movement and all of that. So it's, it's really exciting and it's really awesome to see these kids learning about our culture, about yeah. Mexica culture. And we had a community leader come into our, to our rehearsal last night and, and talk about the cultura and practice of carrying on those indigenous ways, right? right. So she comes from a long, genera- long family tradition of working, you know, with danza and following that, that way. Uh, so, so because the play is about the conquest of Mexico, mm-hmm. told through the eyes of a young Totonac girl. Okay. Um, originally, the play is about two brothers, which parallels Quetzalcoatl and Tezcatlipoca. In my version, I, I got permission from the playwright Jose Cruz Gonzalez to reimagine the play wow. as a story told through a sister and a brother. Wow. Now the sister is the main character. And so we found a new name for her. Her name is Amoxley, which means codex. And uh, it's really uh, a beautiful story about holding on to your roots, holding on to who you are, holding on to what you believe in, no matter what. Right. your family decides to go a different way or somebody in your family decides to go a different way. Yeah. That sounds super exciting. When's that going to show? So that opens on Wednesday, September 25th. It's a 10 a.m. matinee because it's really, it's a play for young audiences. Okay. So uh, our program says for second to eighth graders, but I think it's appropriate for, you know, K through 12. Okay. And, and, and beyond. Right. When we first read the play, everybody around the table and, you know, I'm working with people who are in their early 20s all the way through somebody I think believe is 50 in the cast. And they all loved it. They were especially the people who are of Mexican heritage. They were just so excited to hear a play that is about them. Yeah. Old through their perspective. Wow. That's really cool. And so this is you've written a lot of plays. I mean, what's the. What's the difference? How are you experiencing the creative difference in terms of like being the writer and then being the person that brings that vision to reality? Yeah, the first play that I directed professionally, I devised with the youth and the adults in the room. So I was contracted with um, the working classroom in in New Mexico. And that was a year long process. I taught a couple two week workshops and then I was there for six weeks to finish devising the play, write it, and stage it. So that was all organic from what we created. And then this particular play, I, I read it, and, and I, as I was reading it, I could see it. I could see how I would stage this. I could see it come alive. Yeah. And so then I knew that I could direct it because I saw it. So it is different. As a playwright, you are creating the blueprint for which other people are going to bring their own talents and creativity and create and bring it to life, right? Right, right. And as a director, I'm handed the blueprint and I'm facilitating others bringing it to life. That's the way I like to think about it. 
I mean, I do have a vision for the play and I am leading that vision. I'm mostly facilitating others to bring their character to life, right? The actors to bring their characters to life. The sound uh, and, and Pima, everything, everybody, it's, it's all students that are in charge of sound and lights and all the technical aspects are, are done by students. Uh, but they do have, you know, instructors that lead them in that, right? We have an awesome, really good people, people in the tech, in our crew. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. You're in demand, sister. That's Sorry about that. I thought I turned it off. Um, <laughs> and then I also have my speaker on because, yes, I was choreographing. So we, we just have a really good theater department with people that um, are really fabulous at creating um, set. So the set design um, um, is, you know, overseen by Todd Polster, who's amazing, um, and Anthony. Um, but the students have a big hand in creating all aspects of the play. And so I'm at the helm facilitating them using their creativity. Right. Yeah. So, um, and we're lighting the play more as a dance theater production. So there's a lot of movement in it. Um, and I think because of the masks, they're acting with their bodies more so. So physicality, a lot of physicality in the play. So it's a good stretch for me. I'm using a muscle that I haven't used in a while that I, I enjoy. I, I really, you know, in San Francisco, when I was in the Bay Area, I came of age in, in dance theater, in um, theater, for me in, in San Francisco and the Bay Area, the theater there is very, is, is um, inspired or has elements of movement dance in it. Mm -hmm. That's where I was going, what I saw, I wasn't, I didn't go too much to the regional theater. I went more to the counter pulse type of places, like more, you know, counterculture. Yeah. So I love the performance art aesthetic and I, and I did a lot of performance art. So when a play is along those, those realms, I can see it. I can see how I, how I can bring it to life. I think it would be much more challenging for me to direct a realism play that is really about acting. It's really about nuance and getting into character. I think some other i think that i think that would be a, a different type of director yeah i could see that i mean i think that listening to you describe what you're doing with this play though seems very nuanced to me like i don't think i could do that you know like in terms <laughs> of like helping people figure out how they should move i think it's interesting that you know we don't really talk about it in that way but you know, how we move and the stances that we take and the postures that we take, I mean, those translate so, so many things in terms of attitude and comfort, just where you are and how you're engaged. And so like doing that intentionally, now I think that sounds pretty nuanced. Sister. It is in a different way. In yes. a different way, yeah. Yes, but it's, it but it's good that way, right? Yes. Yeah. I was watching a, a movie the other day. It was actually a Kevin Smith movie. It had Kevin Smith and then the guy that does Jay and he wanted to like not be the stoner character anymore. <laughs> he went to this guy and he gave him the secret book about how to be a method actor. Yes. Right. And so it was, 
it's a great movie. I really wish I could remember the name of it. But yeah, um, I wish you could too. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know, right. Okay, <laughs> watch that movie. It's really yeah. cool. okay. So yeah, that's a, so when you say kids, what you're actually talking about are like college age kids. Did I say kids? Oh. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I call them too. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're you know, and it ranges because it's community college, so it's you know you have. I have somebody in the cast who's 17 year, years old, and I didn't realize she was 17 years old. Yeah. But most of them are in their early 20s, and then I have people that are, you know, more mature, more 30s, 50s. Yeah. So, Milta, you you took this play with the playwright's permission, obviously, and you sort of reimagined it. You put your own spin on it. Um, I think it sounds super exciting. I guess part of what I w I'm wondering too, though, is as you begin to like work through this, where really some of your inspirations? I mean, you talked about the sort of counterculture, artistic work that you grew up sort of surrounded in, the Bay Area, that type of thing. Where are you really drawing from as you're like, you know, putting pen to paper and, you know, working out these things with other people? Yes, a lot of it for me, um, I started out as a poet, and well, a creative writer, creative writing. Um, and I fell in love with poetry because I got to be in front of people and share my thoughts and share my innermost feelings or you know, <laughs> thoughts. And they wanted to listen. They were like, yeah, they, who knew? People no, wanted to hear things that yeah. I had to say. Yeah. And I had, and I found that I had a lot to say okay. and it all happened at San Francisco state. I was in the creative writing department. And I, there weren't too many people that looked like me in the classroom. Yeah. And it was always just me, you know? And I wanted to find myself. Finally, I was like, I had not known who I was for my, practically my whole entire life growing up here in the United States. So I walked into the Rasa department and I started taking classes in the Rasa department. And before I knew it, I was, had, I was minoring in the department. And so around that time, I, I started writing poetry. And it was, it was really inspired by what I had. It was like my third eye became open. <laughs> you know, it was like, whoa, big time epiphany about life and all the things that I could not conceptualize before or conceptualize. Right. All of a sudden came, it, came into being. Um, and I've always been a writer. And I think part of what triggered my writing was I moved from El Salvador to the United States when I was eight years old. And I had to wait in El Salvador for, my, for the government to approve my sister and my residency. So my parents were lucky enough that they got to come over with, with papers, right, with documents. But we had to wait for them seven months. And to a child, and I was left with family, I was left with my godparents, to a child, there is no way to comprehend that it's a legal matter, that it's life, it's what has to happen. A child feels abandoned, regardless of if you're with family or in cages, whatever, you, you, you feel abandoned. Right. And so I had all these feelings I didn't know what to do with. When I got here to the United States, Somebody gave me a journal, a diary or something, and I started writing things that I didn't understand. And I don't think that I understood those things that I was writing about 
and that I continued to write throughout <laughs> up until I was, you know, and then I was in creative writing class and I was still having these thoughts, but I couldn't contextualize them. I didn't, I couldn't reason through them until I went, I was, and went to the pasta department and then it all started making sense. So I would say that all those things are very much where I get my, I think um, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. And I think that necessity is also the mother of creativity. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I could have gone and, and become a drunk or something, right? Become an alcoholic. I'm sorry, yeah. I don't mean to say it like that. Become an alcoholic. But instead, I became a writer. Yeah. You know? I and do. Yeah. And so for me, it's really hard to separate my experience from my writing. Mm. Because I feel that my experience is what actually made me an artist. And I've always, always also been in dance. I've always taken dance classes. And I've always done both at the same time. My favorite, when I lived in Oakland and I went to Laney College, was I, my first writing class was at Laney College. And I remember walking into that class and it was after I had a traumatic car accident before I had taken any FASTA classes or any of that. Um, and I was just, I didn't understand what was happening in my life. And I just um, made some bad choices and had a terrible car, car accident. And I healed through taking writing classes and dance classes. Mm -hmm. So I walked into my first writing class and it just poured out of me. It just, like it literally, like I was writing like a maniac in that classroom. Yeah. You know? And then um, I would go to dance class. And then after dance class, I would write some more. It's like one opens the gate for the other. Yeah. And they work in tandem together. So it makes a lot of sense that my plays often involve movement or have an element of dance or like this play that I'm directing. I'm drawn to it because it calls for movement. It calls for some type of choreographed movement. I think that's where I get a lot of my inspiration, just my experience. I'm inspired by, I think also, you know, other uh, people that I've read. Yeah. Specifically, when I was younger, Sandra, Sandra Cisneros was a yeah. big inspiration. And also, when I was in the Bay Area, you know, I was around some really awesome artists and some really amazing poets. Yeah. Um, so I was really inspired by this other Salvadoran woman, Leticia Hernandez. Linares. She's not too much older than I am, but she was just, she just was amazing. And I, I actually am a late bloomer. I started late, but also Mark Bamuti Joseph was another amazing performer, dancer, poet, everything. Paul Flores, you know, and of course uh, my partner, Mark Minate, like they all inspired me. They all helped mold me in a way, you know? Yeah. And then I think the thing that got me into theater was I did a, um, a teatro workshop with people from um, Elisa from um, Teatro Vision, and she brought over her friends who were people from Teatro Campesino. So I think um, I had only read about Teatro Campesino, and then I, all of a sudden here were people like, it was Danny Valdez and um, other people from, from Teatro Campesino that came and taught us. And wow. it taught us the way of teatro, you know, yeah. and, it was, and it was a quick, it wasn't like a, and it, the workshop, I think was a week and in, intense workshop, but whatever they were there for a day, you know, or two days, 
it, it rocked my world, you know, and it like, it just created who I am now. So, and I mean, and Elisa, Mar Elisa Marina Alvarado was also, she worked with Teatro Campesino. So whatever she was teaching us was what she learned from Teatro Campesino. And I think that's the beauty of that type of um, theater, that type of teatro is that when you learn it, you pass it down to others. I know that I myself have passed it down to others in just creating, um, you know, the actos, right? Teatro skits. Um, and doing guerrilla theater and all these Rascuacha type things, we're passing down that tradition. Rascuache. I like that. It's a good word. <laughs> we have a Rascuache ethic around here. I can <laughs> okay, wow. I, I can really can see the way that that development is, has happened. And it's, um, I think it's really interesting how like holistic it is. Like it's, 360 degrees, right? Like some people are like, oh, I, I went to school and I learned how to do this and that. And, you know, and it's like, they, again, like you were talking about, they have this very like technical approach to it, right? I mean, it's really clear to me through our interactions, but also through uh, some of the things that I've seen produced and some of the things that I've read, you are bringing a lot of knowledge and understanding to uh, these different situations you know, particularly like the Latino experience, the Latinx experience, the immigrant experience, that type of thing. So I, I want to ask you a little bit about the MAS play, because mm -hmm. I know uh, from MAS, yep, the, yeah, MAS. <laughs> because I also know too, from reading uh, interviews and from talking with you that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that that was the, the first play where you, where you went out and did interviews, and then you use the interviews as the foundation, right? Like, so the words that are in there, you've assembled the words, but those words are actually taken from real live interviews from people who were involved in the Tucson Mexican-American struggle. Yeah, it's great that you noted that my experience is very holistic and it's actually very circular also, yeah. because my last class, when I was getting my BA at San Francisco State, I read about Anna Devere Smith and I was really taken by her. She's amazing, right? I had never heard of somebody going out into communities, interviewing people, and then word for word, performing what they said. It was amazing to me. So I, I went and got, this is how old, this, how long ago this was. Uh, I went and got a VHS of her HBO performance um, and I and I watched it I actually had something I could watch it on and just just real quick uh, for those of you that don't know <laughs> uh, VHS is like a cartridge that has a tape in it that <laughs> us old people used to watch movies on yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I I for some reason I had this little TV that had one a VHS where you could put the VHS in. Oh yeah. It was yeah. already a relic. <laughs> I just I had it for some reason. Somebody had given it to me or something, and so it sure came in handy. And I I was amazed by her. And but I I never considered doing that type of work. I just yeah. thought it was really interesting. And then when I was, you know, at Northwestern getting my graduate degree, I was about to graduate and Mark and I saw, Mark and I found out about what was happening in Arizona with the curriculum, right? Yeah. 
Arizona wanted to ban Mexican-American studies in the Tucson Unified School District. And they actually did ban that curriculum. And it was, it was sad. We cried, you know, when we heard that, like we couldn't believe that that was actually happening in 2012. Yeah. And so Mark had the idea to write a docudrama play. And I had just was the one who was about to graduate with an MFA in playwriting. So we pitched it to Barclay Goldsmith at Borderlands Theater before we even lived in Tucson. We were in Chicago at the point at that time. And he was really into it. We ended up getting a national new play network residency Mm -hmm. for me to come out for us to move to Tucson and write the play. And so it was my first time um, trying out this format where I interviewed people I did. I say I didn't write anything, any word of it. I well, maybe five percent of it or three percent of it, you know, because most of it is word for word what people said. And I, I read through. I did most of the interviews, if not half of the interviews, and I read through all the transcripts and I read through all of them several times. Um, And it was like magic. It just. I could see how different sections worked with other sections and I could, it's it's as if the words were lifting off the page and saying, this is the play right here. This is, and it just all, it it all just happened. It was messy yeah, because I playwriting is messy and theater making is messy, but um, it all just came together into a play. So it really is what people said. And it was important for this particular story to be told in that way because it was about their experience. Um, and originally I thought it was gonna be a play about the state versus the people in the movement to save it at Mexican American studies. But actually there was something more, much more interesting happening within the community. And it was the after effect, you know, the, a- the after effects of, of dealing with the constant pressure of having to fight a conservative state or a i mean that law was overturned and found to be racist right unconstitutional unconstitutional so the play is really about what happens to a community when they have to keep fighting for their humanity yeah that that's how i would characterize i would probably call it ptsd like how a whole community deals with the ptsd or the trauma of of that particular situation. No, I think it's much more compelling than trying to tell the story one more time of, you know, how we're like fighting mm-hmm. state or whatever, you know, like justice and yeah, that's kind of, maybe that's a given this story exists. We're going to fight the state. You know, the state is oppressing us or whatever. I think it's much more useful, much more compelling, much more poignant and much more. Well, I said useful, but I want to say useful again, to create that dialogue uh, among oppressed people or among organizers and activists about the way that these types of situations affect us and how we relate to other people and the different ways that factions in the community end up viewing each other. They're all, we all want the same thing, right? Like we all want Mexican American studies sometimes that's as far as it goes. We just, we all want Mexican American studies and everything yeah. else after that is up for grabs. Well, and, and you know, what's interesting is that other people outside of the Mexican American community who read the play or attended the play, 
You know, they always said, oh, this was the African-American movement. You know, this was just different types of movements have had these issues, right? And really, it's just a microcosm of our society. These issues are alive everywhere. It's part of the way we're socialized, you know? Yeah. Hey, so in in kind of building off that, I, I was just wondering if you might talk to us a little bit about well, about a couple of things. One of them, and this is my question, what in the last several years you've you've written a number of plays, you've produced them, like the MAS play has been shown all across the country by different um different ensembles of actors. You know, what what has really surprised you about your own journey through this as a playwright? What's really surprising, Mass was really surprising for me because at one point I said, you know, I'm writing an unproducible play. One, there are eight characters, theater, any theater people will know this, the more characters you have, the less likely your play is going to get done. Yeah. And then my play also calls for four dancers on top of the eight, eight actors. And then it has words like Huitzilopochtli, Descatlipoca. <laughs> You know, like, it's very It does. In the theater world, it's unfortunately not very diverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, those are big words. <laughs> those, you know, those words scare Latinx people, right? They may not scare Chicanos, but yeah. they, they scare Latinx people. Yeah. And, you know, which is funny because I'm directing Sun, Sun Serpent, and it has a lot of Nahuatl in it. Not yeah. a lot, but it has more Nahuatl than Mas did. Yeah. Um, but so people are open to stuff. And I was really surprised that it, it got done and that it kept getting done. But when I think about it, it is a pretty, um, it's a very important play. Something happened with that play. I don't know. I, I can't even take credit for it. I don't know. Some, maybe it was the energies of what I was writing about. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's a play that people have told us. We world premiered it at Borderlands Theater and, and various people in the theater world have told us, you know, this is a play that you, you can do 10 years from now, 25 years from now. It's like your cornerstone. And it is. And I think it's because it's about Tucson also, you know, that's quite a compliment, sister. Well, yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I, you know, I'm happy. And I, you know what, I think I've, I, I feel like I've been fortunate in that I, I also got to write a play for Milagro Theater Group. It was a commission um, about a Salvadoran woman um, who came here undocumented, was in the foster care system, and then went on to become a judge. And she's one of one of the you know one of the few Latina judges in Multnomah, Multnomah County, Oregon. Against all odds, right? Because one, she was undocumented, and then a foster child. Most foster children unfortunately don't fare well in our country and um so so it's a really amazing story and we got international press because it's such an amazing story and i feel really honored to have been the person who wrote that you know um and it's i think it's something that later in life will be appreciated much more by the theater world if it wasn't appreciated right now. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it, you know, the papers, the, the, the lay people really appreciate it. And I love that that play is touring to um, colleges um, and universities and even high schools because it says, si se puede, right? 
Mm -hmm. It says it loud and proud. Si se puede. And it's about a Salvadoran. And there's Salvadoran Spanish in there, which is very unusual. Um, so that was really surprising. I had no idea that it would be so well received. That's cool. And yeah, very cool. Yeah. You know, And also, I wrote Sanctuary, which is also another Tucson story about the 1980s um, sanctuary movement that was started in, by a church, by two women, really. And, and again, here's another situation where um, I, I'm really inspired by, by women who aren't celebrated as they should be. Right. Um, and so the story is amazing in itself, the story of the 1980s sanctuary movement by men. But then now we're able to tell this, the real story. And it was that two women started the movement. And this whole time, if you Google it, if you read any books on it, it's always two, two very charismatic men that are, well, one very charismatic man that is credited with it. And, and then someone else that was also a character. And it was just a time. It wasn't like the people involved did that. It was the media. The media latched on to the white men, of course, yeah. right? So I, I got to tell the story as it really happened, I think, and that was based on interviews as source material, but I wrote my own play. As I read everything and, and talked to people, I wrote, I wrote what I saw. I feel really fortunate that I'm able to write these stories and they're able to be, you know, because I work at Borderlands Theater, because I co-run Borderlands Theater, we're able to apply for grants to produce this plays. So I, unlike many playwrights, most playwrights, I'm able to self-produce, which isn't always easy. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't get as much attention as if it was done by a regional theater, but I feel very fortunate that most of what I've written has been produced. Yeah. And a lot of what I've written has been commissioned. And so that means the commissions that I've been, been awarded or approached about are they want productions, you know? Right. So that's one thing that's very surprising to me because of what I write, but then at the same time they've been produced. Because I think that I don't necessarily write the type of theater that will be produced or, or I don't necessarily, I don't know what, because like going back to your question, because I write from my experience, it's maybe a little bit too niche for regional theater maybe i would offer as a sort of a, a counter suggestion to that that you have a very authentic voice and i think that that authenticity kind of comes through you know one of the things and i think it's regardless of the niche you know so to speak you're just writing about latinos or you're just writing about immigrants I think that that authenticity often transcends that because as you were saying earlier, this is really kind of about the human experience, right? Like yeah. people see the MAS play and they're like, oh, that happened in the black movement or that happened yeah. in, the, in the native movement because there are things that happen between us or to us or around us and they happen because we're human beings. And so there are things that you exactly. Know, I see no things doubt. like that. Yeah. That's how I see things, right? That's why. But I feel that overall, if I'm going to generalize in the general population, people are used to seeing their story. So right. 
even though we are all humans and we all have very similar stories, I think sometimes because I'm interested in immigrants and because I'm interested in more authentic stories, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily am super authentic myself. I quite, I don't, I hate that word in a way. I love it and I hate it, you know? Um, I, I, I love it and I hate it, but I think it's because of my experience that I write what I write. I didn't grow up Chicano. I'm 1.5 generation here. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm the first one who graduated from college in my family and went to high school here, went to school here. That is niche in the general population. And sometimes people aren't ready to hear those stories. Well, there will be eventually. They, and people like you are, people, yeah. and people that I'm around are, yeah. but I'm saying like in the broader regional theater scene or in the theater scene. Yeah. You know, because you got to think about who the audience is in the theater world. So sometimes I question why am I in the theater world? If you look at the audience, they don't look like me. And my people don't go to theater. So what's up with that? Why aren't, no. you know? But I, so how, so that's why I love some of the work that we do at Borderlands Theater that really tries to bridge those worlds, right? Oh, well, the barrio stories. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, tell us about barrio stories. I mean, I drove four hours to see Barrio Story. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll drive to Nogales and Arizona. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to go there. You, no, <laughs> yeah, no, I think you ought to think about that. <laughs> down there. That's like almost all the way, man. That's, that's like, all the way down there. And then we just got across the line and have some good food. Okay. Uh, well, that's an enticement for sure. Yeah, really good food. But tell, uh, us about, tell us about Barrio Stories. Because the other thing is this, is that one of the things I always talk with my students about is how all literature is a critique of reality. It's not, it's not like a mirror of it. It's not like telling us how things are. It, it's always critiquing reality. And I think that that's part of what I was trying to say a second ago in terms of authenticity. I can, I can kind of understand why maybe you're not like a big fan of that word. But I think that, that people see that and they, they recognize a real critique when they see it, whether they're thinking about it that way or not, there's something that is resonating with them. So like you have something like Barrio Stories, which is theater, but you're doing it in a way that is, well, I think most people would consider very untraditional. Oh, yes. I mean, it's placemaking, one. People are doing it. It's just le it's, it's less popular. But then also for us, it's more of a theatrical event. It's a mixture of theater and festival. Mm -hmm. And people get to walk through it. And I think it's more accessible because we're taking it, taking it outside of the proscenium theater stage, right? And um, for whatever reason, our communities are not accustomed to going to theater. And it's layered, right? Most theater is not about them. It costs a lot of money. It feels stuffy, blah, blah, all this stuff, right? Yeah. So when you put it out outdoors, everybody goes down, like, in Nogales, we're going to stage it in downtown Nogales. And that's already a place that they, that they are familiar with. And the idea is to make it family friendly because there are a lot of families there. Latinos love their families. 
Um, and so and, other people, but yeah, but yeah, but, but we do too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah, and they're family family oriented. Oh, you know, we're gonna have sh shadow puppetry and giant puppets, and also theatrical installations that may or may not. Um, for me, I'm because I'm actually I'm writing this Barrio stories. This is the first time that I write the plays. We've often worked with other playwrights. I've done more of the outreach kind of work with that and okay. how to engage audiences with the work. So, but now I'm, I'm writing it. And so um, I'm writing three or four shadow pup plays that are really um, magical and awesome to watch, very out of the norm. And giant puppet plays that are, are more, more like teatro, right? Yeah. It's, more, it's more like teatro. Um, with the giant puppet heads and that people, you know, a thousand people can all watch the same show. Right. And then the theatrical installations are going to be movement-based, may or may not have text. Um, we're also going to, we we're incorporating video because we have one, part, one of our ensemble members is a videographer. So we have awesome video. It's not your standard video that you're thinking about. It's a, a lot, he's a video artist. Okay. He's very artistic in yeah. his uh, video design. So he's pushing um, the envelope of like image, like how we receive images. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love that stuff. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of nuance actually in this play. And so that people, um, you know, we're planting seeds. We're planting seeds. That's, that's why I see a lot of the work that I do, all the plays that are right, um, everything that I do. It's about planting seeds. I'm really just, just a big hippie. You know, I just want everybody to, to love and be kind to each other. <laughs> well, that's probably, I'm sure that's why you and Mark get along so well. <laughs> yeah. That dude's a big hippie too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's cool. That's good. I, I like that. So, Milta, we're, we're kind of coming to the end of this. I, I think if the last thing that I'd really love to hear you talk about is any advice that you have for young Latinx people who they're, they're, they're dying to find a way to express themselves. I mean, is it, is it through playwriting? Is it through the theater? I mean, what's your advice to them? Do your thing, find your thing, whatever it is that you love to do, do it. You know, for some people, it might be playing an instrument. It might be um, poetry. It could be music. It could be dance. Um, whatever it is, do something. Because I think so many of us just become complacent in our lives. And we kind of like to do something. But, oh, everything else takes priority over it. Yeah. And it's almost like we're afraid to do it because we're afraid to find out we're not good at it. Yeah. You know what? No one is good at it at first. Yeah. I mean, people might have talent mm -hmm. and they might be pretty good at it, but then they can get better, right? Yeah. And, and people, I think everybody, as kids, we all have something. And as we get older, life beats it out of us, you know? Yeah. So it's like, a, it's, for me, it's about connecting to that something. Something that I really love to do is I, I love mat Pilates and yoga. And I feel like that helps me find my thing, mm -hmm. you know? And I, well, I think part of it for me is that I'm older now and I can't really like dance the way I used to, <laughs> but I, I can do yoga and mat Pilates. And that is another way of expressing, 
right? Yeah. And being creative and, and, and doing something that is making our world a better place, right? right? Because at least I can be more calm when people are going crazy, you know? So I think whatever it is, you know what it is. You know what you like to do. Whatever that is, do that. And okay. if it's not good at first, then just keep trying. And you might find something that, I'll tell you what, I don't think, I think I'm a better playwright than I am a poet. But I had to become a poet to become a playwright, right? And I, I'm also, I'm working on a memoir, a, a memoir about my life. Mm. And I'm realizing that I'm probably a pretty good memoir writer because I remember <laughs> me and I just comes natural or it just, it feels natural. It feels like that's what I've been doing. And I remember being in creative writing class and writing, non writing fiction and my professor saying, these are anecdotes. You, we, uh, you know, we need more literary, uh -huh. but memoir is anecdotes. Yeah. Right? So again, circular, like it all comes like do what you think you like to do. And, and if that's not the right thing, the right thing will reveal itself. Wow. You know, and we're always right. growing and, and changing. Yeah. No, that's dope. That's dope advice, Milton. Like <laughs> yeah. All right, sister. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate your time too. Tell your family I said hi. Okay, same okay. with you. <laughs> yeah. That's what we have for today. I want to thank Milton for taking the time to drop that knowledge about artistic pursuits and the role of the artist in the struggle for self-awareness. If you get a chance, please check out this sister's work. It is real and it speaks to our everyday struggles as colonized people. If you're in Tucson, check out a performance by Borderland Theaters. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. And in the meantime, this is the Reality Dysfunction signing off. And until we meet again, stay alert, stay hydrated, and know where the exits are.